the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Thank you for joining us as we get started at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday edition of The Authority. It is the 17th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2020. The impeachment trial in the United States Senate is underway. We are going to talk about that with Congressman Jim Renacci, former Congressman Jim Renacci, actually, who is now very active with the Ohio's Future Foundation. But Congressman Renacci will talk to us about what the Congress has done. We're going to talk to him about the behavior and the steps taken by the Democrat leaders in the House as they sent this thing over to the Senate and what we can expect in the Senate uh, based upon his experience in the Congress. So Jim Renacci at 935. Beyond that... We are guest-free, so plenty of opportunities for you to be a part of the show today at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. And I know I've been accused of saying that too fast. People can't hear the number. Save it in your phone, and you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to wait for me to say it, okay? Put it down on a sticky note and put it on your fridge if you have to. 216, this is as slow as I get, 216 901-0945. Save that number. And you can also, if you wish, uh, to try to get in on an open line, try 888-281-1110. That would be 1110. So, uh, let's, uh, let's get that out of the way. All right. Uh, before we talk about the impeachment trial and, uh, what is going on in the, uh, United States Capitol building, I do want to talk about media and I want to say thank you so very much to Martha McSally. Senator Martha McSally has just blown it wide open talking about the media's relationship with the people and the media's relationship with the truth. Quite frankly, 
What she did here is what some th- somebody should have done a long time ago. She just called the media what it is, and she is being dragged for it by the media, naturally. Martha McSally um, is being called dangerous, being called dangerous now, because she refused to answer the questions in the hallway in the Capitol from a CNN reporter named Manu Raju. All right? This just happened yesterday. And as she was walking the hallways, she was asked by Manu Raju uh, about the Senate trial, specifically about the uh, um, uh, whether or not they should consider new evidence and, and new witnesses to be called in the Senate trial. And rather than answer the question, Senator Martha McSally, the Republican from Arizona, said this, quote, Manu you're a liberal hack. I am not talking to you. Let's just lay that out there again. Manu, you're a liberal hack. I am not talking to you. Uh, this has just gone uh, viral. People are going crazy. Oh, my gosh. How dare she? How could she say such a thing? This is this is so beyond uh, the pale. I mean, he, she called a reporter who was asking a legitimate question, a liberal hack. This is going to just upset everything. Um, here's what I say to Martha McSally. Can you dig it? Oh, my. Let's just cut through. Let's just cut through all of the pleasantries and say what it is. You're a liberal hack, and I'm not. This is this is about the the farthest any Republican has gone in calling out the liberal media for being the liberal media since Donald Trump coined the phrase "enemy of the people" to describe a media that is indeed not serving the people. And I know people got, and they still. Go ballistic when they hear Donald Trump referencing or going back to his original statement in which he called uh, the purveyors of fake news enemies of the people. Uh, they get so angry, but he's right. He was right then. He is right now. And Martha McSally is right now as well. By legitimizing news sources that intentionally distort or misrepresent news stories, that substitute opinion for fact, that engage in uh, an attempt to mislead the public. A media that does that truly is not serving the public's interest. The fourth estate no longer holds an important place uh, in, uh, in, in a, uh, an informed society. And if you are not serving the public's best interest, you are indeed then, just by, by very process of elimination, doing what? You're harming the public's best interest. And if you're harming the public, then you cannot be seen as anything other than an enemy of the public, ergo an enemy of the people. So President Trump was right, and so was Martha McSally. Now, Manu Raju's question about uh, uh, whether or not new evidence should be allowed into uh, into the Senate trial of President Trump is not out of bounds. He had every right to ask the question, and that's fine. But Martha McSally just saying, you know, I don't want to answer questions from you, purveyor of fake news. I don't want to hear from you. I'm going to talk to legitimate reporters. I'm not going to talk to uh, a representative of a company, CNN, whose mission, as exposed by James O'Keefe and Project Veritas, among others, is to take down and impeach the President of the United States. 
come hell or high water, with facts or no facts. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna engage you civilly when you are not being civil to the people of this country and to the president of the United States. So Martha McSally is again just being she's being portrayed as 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 the most evil uh, uh, evil uh, uh, person ever for a particularly elected representative for daring to call a CNN hack a hack. Daring to call a CNN liberal reporter liberal and to say it doesn't do me any good to talk to you because whatever I say, you will spin and portray however you want. So liberal hack, step aside, not talking to you. So she's now public enemy number one for the media. I want to share two things with you. One of them is uh, a defense of Martha McSally by way of the New York Post. And the other is Martha McSally herself. First of all, David Harsanyi with the New York Post uh, headline this morning, CNN's bias is now beyond laughable. As Senator Martha McSally walked through the hallways of the Senate Thursday, CNN, CNN senior, say that five times fast, CNN senior congressional correspondent, say that five times fast, Manu Raju asked her if the Senate should consider new evidence. McSally shot back, Manu, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're not going to talk about this, a dazed Raju act? You're a liberal hack, buddy, she replied as she walked away. Predictably, conservatives cheered. That's me. While mainstream media decried McSally's move as unbecoming. Whatever your take, the interaction reflects three years of mounting frustration with an overly partisan media, exemplified by CNN, which has dropped any pretense of fairness and become an organ of the Democrat Party. Harsanyi is exactly right. What McSally did, if it was just a one-off, if it was just a out-of-the-blue uh, statement and a dismissal of a reporter uh, with whom you know she had had no experience, it would be unbecoming. But it isn't. It represents, as Harsanyi in the Post says, it represents three years of mounting frustration against the unfettered uh, bias uh, being displayed by the media, the anti-Trump, anti-Republican, anti-conservative bias uh, that CNN in particular, we could say the, the the legacy media, we could say the mainstream media, whatever you want to call it, but in particular, that network, uh, it's three years built up, and finally she said, enough, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking to liberal hacks, I want to talk to actual reporters, that's it. CNN's Jake Tapper, remarking on the incident, uh, called Raju's query reasonable because it was the question of the day. And indeed, that's the problem. Democrats are always dictating the question of the day. Democrats decide what is the most important issue of the day. And that is exactly right. As Tapper surely knows, there is no Lev Parnas evidence about the alleged Trump Giuliani misdeeds in Ukraine. There are only allegations from a sordid character named Lev Parnas, who, by the way, is under indictment. Uh, who's trying to keep himself out of prison. Now, perhaps those allegations will be proved true. We'll see. But any honest observer of Washington understands that Democrats are stringing out these investigations until the election. By referring to Parnas's handwritten notes as evidence, Raju is merely perpetuating a talking point, which would be fine, of course, if reporters were also stalking the hallways of the Senate, demanding to know if Democrats were prepared to investigate new evidence of wrongdoing by Hunter Biden, and thus... By association, his father, Joe Biden, the vice president. On the whole, mainstream media outlets have exhibited deep skepticism about verified and unverified accusations about the vice presidential son's Burisma shenanigans. They would do the same in the part, they should do the same in the Parnas case as well. 
You'd think that journalists who had recently subjected the nation to a hysterical three-year carousel of botched Russia collusion stories. By the way, when are they going to apologize? For two and a half years leading up to the Mueller report, they all proclaimed the day of reckoning for Trump is coming when Mueller presents evidence of Russian collusion. Well, here comes the Mueller report, and there was no Russian collusion. And that's just a fact. When are they going to apologize for getting it wrong for two and a half years? But you would think that the media would show a lot more caution rather than blindly embracing the theories of House Democrats. So uh, Martha McSally uh, basically calls CNN what they are, fake news, liberal hacks. The left goes nuts, including, of course, Tapper and the rest of the, uh, uh, the uh, sycophants at, uh, at CNN. And now let's hear from Martha McSally herself. Senator McSally, again, being excoriated by many for being so uh, unbelievably dismissive of a member of the media and for calling him liberal hack and refusing to answer. Again, what was a legitimate question? Nothing wrong with the question. And, and the liberal hack uh, reporter has a right to ask it. She also has a right to say, not engaging with liberal hacks like you, and that's fine. This is uh, Martha McSally last night, uh, as presented by uh, and, Maureen. And uh, White House counsel Pat Cipollone. Here now is Senator Martha McSally, Republican from Arizona, who will be a juror, of course. She was sworn in today in the impeachment trial. And, Senator, before we get your thoughts on what I just said the Senate should do, even understanding there are a few stragglers, I want to ask you about this. Senator McSally, should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? Man, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're not going to comment? <laughs> okay, so you heard that. You're a liberal <laughs> I want to join them. I want to join them in laughing about that and uh, and 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 enjoy the living heck out of it. She was just so matter of fact, man. You're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. I just I want to enjoy that for a second. Uh, all right, let's go on with the question, the follow up. Liberal hack. Well, based on the media reaction, you'd have thought Manju Raju got assaulted by McSally. McSally just calls Manu Raju, respected widely on Capitol Hill by Democrats and Republicans calls him a, a nasty name. Prize-winning, uh, excellent journalist. There's nobody who looks at him uh, with a real objective lens and sees anything but objectivity. This is not uh, a biased reporter. <laughs> Senator, do you regret what you said? Uh, no, Laura, I do not. And I said it again, actually, as I went in. I said, you're a liberal hack, buddy. As you know, I, I mean, these... these CNN reporters, but many of them around the Capitol, uh, they are so biased. Uh, they are so in cahoots with the Democrats. They so can't stand the president. And they run around trying to chase, you know, Republicans and ask trapping questions. I'm a fighter pilot. You know, I called it like it is. Uh, and that's what we see out of the mainstream media and especially CNN every single day. Uh, so obviously, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the truth and I did it today and it's laughable how they've responded. Well, they were saying, I love the fact that she was given an opportunity to walk it back and instead of walking it back she doubled down on it look she speaks for i i swear i can't prove this of course but i would swear every republican on capitol hill not just currently but going back uh, over the last 10 years probably 20 the media has always been 
biased in favor of liberal, liberal Democrats, but not as openly, as wantonly, and as savagely as they have been really in the last 10 years, certainly going back even to the Bush administration, and obviously the first three years of the Trump administration. Their bias and their vitriol and their anger and their hatred has just been, it's just been off the charts. And, and I promise you, she is one of hundreds of Republican legislators who have wanted to look at a CNN reporter or look at an MSNBC reporter, New York Times, Washington Post, and say, you know what? Blank you. You're a liberal hack. You don't care about the truth. See ya. And I absolutely salute her for that. All right. A lot to get to today. Jim uh, Renacci is going to join us coming up at uh, about 935. You can join us whenever you're ready. The Authority back after this. Bob France, Authority. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I can't praise it enough. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Given the choice between walking it back or doubling down, Martha McSally did what a fighter pilot would do. She doubled down. Why apologize? Never cave in, right? Never cave into the rage mob. Never cave into the liberal left. Never bow. Never get on bended knee. You called a CNN reporter what CNN reporters are, liberal hacks. There's nothing to apologize for, and she doubled down on it. I want to ask you about this. Senator McSally, should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? Man, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're not going to comment? <laughs> okay, so you heard that. You're a liberal hack. Well, based on the media reaction, you'd have thought Manju Raju got assaulted by McSally. McSally just calls Manu Raju, respected widely on Capitol Hill by Democrats and Republicans, calls him a, a nasty name. Prize-winning, uh, excellent journalist. There's nobody who looks at him uh, with a real objective lens and sees anything but objectivity. This is not uh, a biased reporter. <laughs> Senator. Do you regret what you said? Uh, no, Laura, I do not. And I said it again, actually, as I went in. I said, you're a liberal hack, buddy. As you know, I, I mean, these these CNN reporters, but many of them around the Capitol, uh, they are so biased. Uh, they are so in cahoots with the Democrats. They so can't stand the president. And they run around trying to chase, you know, Republicans and ask trapping questions. I'm a fighter pilot. You know, I called it like it is. Uh, and that's what we see out of the mainstream media and especially CNN every single day. Uh, so obviously, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the truth, and I did it today, and it's laughable how they've reached oh, they were- All right, now I, I want to say this because it's important, as I'm praising Martha McSally for her um, calling out of the media and, and just laying bare, look, we're, we're not friends. Uh, we know what you do to us. We know what you're trying to do to uh, spin the or to skew the view of the voting public by the way you cover us. So we're putting it all out there. While I praise her, I'm going to say this. She is an example of why the left is so terrified of Donald Trump. She is an example of why the left is trying to destroy Donald Trump, because Donald Trump made Martha McSally happen. Now, what I mean by that is not, of course, she's already on her own right. She stands uh, tall. She's an American veteran. She was indeed a fighter pilot, uh, the first female fighter pilot to fly in combat. So she's a veteran, and she's a a proud representative of the people of Arizona and the United States Senate and all the rest. But Donald Trump gave her her voice. Without Donald Trump, 
being willing, the first guy to be willing to fight back against the rabid liberal media. I don't think other conservative Republicans have that voice. How do we know? Well, just look prior to 2016. Look back when Donald or when uh, uh, Mitt Romney was destroyed by the liberal media. He didn't fight back when he was a candidate. John McCain didn't fight back. George Bush, for eight years as president, along with Dick Cheney, uh, savaged by the media, they didn't fight back. They just accepted their medicine. They took their medicine and said, this is the way it is. Donald Trump comes along and says, blank you. You're an enemy of the people. You're liars. You're purveyors of fake news. We're not going to allow you to destroy uh, our country, our constitution, our society. We're not going to allow you to lie about us. We're going to fight back. And guess what? That's why he's dangerous to them. That's why he's being impeached. Because he brings other people into the fight. He gives voices to people like Martha McSally. Nobody else is talking to the media directly in the ways that they should have been for years if Donald Trump doesn't become president. He has emboldened us to stand up to them, and that is exactly what Martha McSally was an example of. I loved every second of it, and and I'm so glad she did not walk it back or try to bend to the rage mob, bend her knee to the rage mob. She, in fact, dropped another bomb, as a good fighter pilot does. Well done, Senator McSally. Time out now for news. Congressman Jim Renacci, former Congressman Renacci, joins us next, AM 1420, The Answer. Just like a dragonfly. Listening, learning, and leading Ohio forward. That's the slogan for Ohio's Future Foundation, with whom Jim Renacci works and uh, is uh, really trying to help establish Ohio policy that will help people in our great state. Former Congressman Renacci joins us now, though, to talk about matters of national interest as well, including the impeachment Senate trial, or impeachment trial in the Senate, rather, of President Donald Trump. Congressman Renacci, good to have you back, sir. How are you? Good, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm good. Uh, I'm I'm real good. Before we get into uh, all of the uh, you know the news of the day and what's going on on Capitol Hill, which is the main reason I wanted to talk to you, um, how do you feel about the media and the way the media portrays conservative Republicans, both in Congress when you were there and just in general? I mean, we have always talked about liberal media bias, and so we fight it all the time. So many examples of it on the pages of the New York Post, or, or, excuse me, New York Times, Washington Post, and Cleveland Plain Dealer. Martha McSally basically just kind of, I think she personified all liberal media and put it all on one person from CNN and later out there. Um, is it time for conservative Republicans to fight back against skewed media coverage, Congressman? Well, absolutely, Bob. And I think it's time for, I, I wish we had some more conservative media out there. And I know there are some conservative media outlets trying to build and grow because we need that. Right now, yeah. everything is one-sided and, quite frankly, they're looking for stories. They're looking for somebody to say something. And the reason they went to Martha McSally is, of course, she's one of the most endangered Republican um, senators uh, in 2020. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see a lot of that between her and Gardner and Tillis and Collins and Ernst. Those are the five most um, endangered Republicans. And uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of the media attention going toward them, especially in this impeachment trial, because those are the five that have to worry about getting reelected. Some of them probably are not going to be reelected. 
because of the states they live in. I mean, Cory Gardner in Colorado, that is a Democrat-leaning state. It is. Uh, you know, and, and, and he's going to have trouble getting back. So he'll be somebody to keep a close eye on when it comes to uh, the impeachment trial. That's a great point. Very, very good point. That's why they did go to her, and I'm sure they'll continue to put pressure on those particular senators, which brings the question then uh, to the trial, the Senate uh, trial of the president. Um, The question is over witnesses, and the questions is over new evidence or new documents being admitted. And, of course, we know the argument. The Republicans are saying, look, the time to build your case was in the House, and you did. You did everything you could. You found very little to no evidence at all, which is why you came forth with two articles of impeachment uh, that that allege no crime. There is no criminal code violation in the U.S. code in this. But you did everything you could. You you, you held a, a a biased and unfair process. You didn't give the president any due process, and you came up with what you came up with. You don't get to now rebuild what you couldn't build in the in the House by way of the Senate trial. Um, so my question to you is, will those um, vulnerable Republicans that you just mentioned be more likely to side with the Democrats and ask for those witnesses? It only takes 51, not 67, to remove the president, but 51 to get witnesses called. Well, Bob, one thing after being in Washington for eight years, I look at things so different. I look at them all from a political standpoint, re-elections and all those things. So when I hear things or see things um, I look, I sit back and think, wow, uh, you know, it gives you a little bit of a different flavor. And here's what I think, you know, obstruction of justice really is the one that uh, that the Democrats are trying to say, this is an, this is the problem. The president did not give us the witnesses. He was holding off on the witnesses. And these witnesses could make a big difference in the trial. And they could have held the impeachment longer. But politically, I'm talking about in the House, but politically they had the issue of timing and and the american people were getting frustrated with them so what they do and i agree this was a mistake uh by them is they pushed it over to the senate and said this is obstruction of justice now they're asking the senators basically hey look there are some witnesses that that we really believe have some information and you all now need um to ask for those witnesses to testify because remember one of the impeachable events is obstruction of justice not allowing those witnesses to testify so it will be interesting to see i saw senator gardner came out last week and said we need to we need to have the witnesses come forth um senator collins has come out and said we probably need to have some witnesses so again for your listeners listeners have just always watch that those names ernst collins tillis mcsally and gardner because every one of them has a serious concern about getting reelected and remember i also said this in my book the number one role when you're in washington is to get reelected these guys all worry about getting reelected and uh, many of them are in seats that uh, are going to have some trouble being reelected to clarify some of what you just said, we're talking with uh, former Congressman Jim Renacci, who now works with Ohio's Future Foundation. We'll talk about that in a moment. But um, to clarify that, um, they they held an impeachment inquiry uh, of against the President of the United States and found so little on the basis of that inquiry that they used what happened during the inquiry to come up with an article of impeachment. I, I mean, I just, that, that that process is so bizarre. We think the president should be impeached. We don't have anything, but during the impeachment inquiry, we found something to try to impeach him on. The fact that he didn't give us witnesses or allow witnesses to testify during the impeachment. I mean, it was a sham from the beginning, and so they had to create a charge, to an article of impeachment to send to the Senate that did not exist before the inquiry. 
Well, I'm not disagreeing with you. Look, I said this was political theater. This was something that Nancy Pelosi had to do to keep. I guarantee you, if you were flying the wall in many of her meetings when she was trying to get elected speaker, she was being told we have to impeach this president. So guess what? She's given those people what they asked for. And in the end, it was an impeachment. Now, I chuckle because if you go to my book, Bob, you'll see that the biggest problem I had with Republican leadership is many times we kept saying, hey, we need this or we want that or we want this. And they'd say, hey, hey, wait a minute, we can't do that because if we do it, we'll lose the majority. The one thing I always give Nancy credit for uh, is she's not worried about losing the majority. I think she, in a way, she doesn't want to lose it, but she's, she moved forward on a sham impeachment. And it was really to just appease many of those members in her uh, caucus. Um, with respect to that charge, the obstruction of Congress, because there's obviously the two charges, um, which are both, in my, in my estimation, both ridiculous. Um, the president did nothing wrong. He committed no crime. But with respect to the obstruction of Congress, where, where does executive privilege fall? I mean, how can we charge the president with obstructing when he has it, to my understanding, constitutionally, within his executive powers, to deny uh, 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 persons you know, with whom he he associates, whether it's within his cabinet or his inner circle or whatever, that there is executive privilege uh, that is granted so that he can make those decisions about what gets out and what does not. Well, let's uh, so you have to look back to the Nixon impeachment. There was actually a ruling by the Supreme Court as to what, what was executive privilege, what wasn't. Some of these things will fall in executive privileges, some won't. What's really interesting about the impeachment uh, trial is that in the end, if just two, two Republicans say, look, um, I want to see witnesses, it could throw it to the Supreme Court justice to have to make a decision. He is the tiebreaker. Uh, and uh, in the end, that will be interesting to see if, uh, it, you know, where Judge Roberts falls. Uh, so a lot of interesting things are going to occur here over the next couple of weeks. And it's really going to come down to those two or three Republicans uh, that will have to make a decision, you know, whether they want to do what's right and just move this trial quickly and forward or whether they're concerned about reelection and say, hey, let's bring these witnesses forward. But if you bring the witnesses forward, there is the executive privilege that I think will have to be determined by the Supreme Court uh, justice. And, uh, and look, that'll be the interesting pieces of this trial moving forward. A uh, couple more quick ones on this. Marsha Blackburn has said two things I'd like you to respond to. One, that the Senate can only review, not expand impeachment. It is not our job to expand the impeachment, she said. It is our job to review what they have sent us, and that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to do it in an expedient manner. We're not going, we're going to be fair to the president and to the process, and we're going to get this behind us. So she said they can't, you know, with respect to new evidence, new documentation, et cetera, we can't expand this. All we can review is what they sent us, number one. The other thing she said is, and others have echoed, there are four sitting Democrat senators who are running for president. They have a very vested interest in running the current incumbent president out of office so that it will be uh, a huge advantage for whoever the Democratic nominee is against a Republican nominee yet to be named. How can they sit in judgment as jurors uh, for a case in which they have a vested political interest? Well, answer those two questions. Just, again, my opinion on Marsha Blackburn is a colleague of mine when I was in the House. And, again, she's not an attorney. And yes, you have to look at the evidence, but one of the evidence is obstruction of justice. And there are many um, attorneys and scholars who have said 
that there is the opportunity, if they think there is not enough evidence, because witnesses were held back, um, that they can call for witnesses. So um, I would believe they can call for more witnesses, and I did, would disagree with um, uh, Senator Blackburn. Now, on the other issue, again, it's, it's just going to come down to um, the biasness. Look, we all know that Republicans are going to vote uh, not to impeach. All Democrats, pro, Democrats are going to vote to not impeach. It is a political trial. Whether we say it's not, it is. And the question is going to be, isn't it amazing? It always comes down to those who need to be reelected will make the decisions. And that's the key in Washington. It's so much about getting reelected and not about doing what's right. And that's where this trial is going to end up. You're going to just, as I said to your listeners, watch the five senators. And by the way, there's a wild card senator, Senator Romney, who I think would like to see um, witnesses be called. So that's where you really end up having one wild card senator in Romney and five who want to be reelected and don't want to lose the election are going to have to make a decision. Yeah, no, I get that. And you talked about that before, but you're talking about the Republicans now. And I want specifically to talk about those four Democrat senators who are running for president. Don't those people, I mean, uh, isn't there a case that can be made, Congressman, for recusal from, from the Senate trial? They should not be jurors. They should be tried with 96 and not 100 because these four people cannot possibly, uh, um, uh, be, be, be impartial on this. And you could say nobody's going to be impartial. Okay. But specifically, they want to be president they are running in the democratic primaries and if they run the president out of office it's a huge advantage for them i think that would that would at least a case could be made to have a hearing on recusal well again bob the only other side of that is you've already had enough a number of republican senators who have come out and said um i don't even want this trial to go forward he's you know so they've already given up their um you know judgment of of the facts and I think in the end, that's why I say it's political, because you could argue both sides. Yes, you could argue these four that are Democrats. But again, you could argue the other 47 or 47 of them are, are probably feel the same way. But again, I just look at it from a political standpoint. Again, my eight years in Washington gave me a view of this. It's politics, politics, politics. It's getting reelected. And that's really what this case will all be about. Yeah, well, it is, and and the fact that you know you're you're talking about pure partisanship uh, on the Senate side is is because it was pure partisanship on the House side, right? I mean, Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker said, as recently as a year ago, we're not talking about many years ago, as recently as a year ago, said she would not support impeachment unless it was overwhelming and bipartisan. Well, she held a vote and got uh, and got no. Uh, Republican support at all. Not one single Republican, and in fact, three of her party uh, went against her. One voted present, one voted, or two voted against uh, advancing impeachment. So, you know, when you have pure partisanship after a speaker promised not to send a purely partisan uh, article of impeachment over to the Senate, um, I mean, doesn't it essentially invalidate the entire process? Well, again, um, I don't disagree with you. It was a partisan witch hunt in the House that occurred, um, but partisanship, believe me, I, I, I look back even, and I know this is an impeachment, but every time I, I talk to groups as I travel the state of Ohio and people think, what do you think about this? Well, look, when I was in the House, when we did the tax bill, not one Democrat was allowed in the room. Not one Democrat was allowed to speak on, on the tax bill. These are the kind of the similar things we were partisan to. And 
part of the problem in Washington is it's too partisan. What we got to start doing in Washington is electing people who are going to do what's right for the American people. And, and we don't do enough of that. So we continue to send the same people down there. They want to continue to get reelected. And partisanship always seems to flow through in many of the decisions that are made. So, um, yes, it was partisanship in the House. It will be partisan in the Senate. And it will come down to those three or four senators who have to worry about getting reelected that's going to make the big difference. Congressman uh, Jim Renacia is our guest. Real quick, because we only got a couple of minutes here. Uh, you, you are the chair of the Ohio's Future Foundation, as I talked about, and I know you have a lot of different issues there that you guys are working on uh, as far as Ohio policy, but I just want to ask you about refugee resettlement. Um, we, we know that that Governor DeWine, like a whole lot of other governors, said yes to the president. We will take them here. Only uh, Governor uh, Governor Abbott in Texas, so far to my knowledge, said uh, uh, no. We're not taking any more refugees. Don't do not try to settle them here. And of course, we just had a federal judge yesterday say the president can't do this, saying he they're blocking his uh, his policy of uh, allowing states to uh, you know refuse to take um, uh, refugees. Where do you come down on this, and what Governor DeWine decided? Well, first off, I want to go back to what the president did. The president gave every governor the opportunity because he felt, and this was part of his campaign promise, he felt that governors were being forced to take these refugees and that they shouldn't. It was unfair. So he he signed an executive order that said, from now on, um, you do not have, and that was back in September of last year, you do not have to take refugees. So he was doing Governor DeWine and all these other governors a favor. You don't have to take them. But during the holidays... Governor DeWine wrote a letter, said, and we will take them. And the problem I have with that is, who's going to pay for this? I mean, the average cost to uh, to taking a refugee is about $92,000 per refugee. They're a burden on the Medicaid system. They're a burden on the, on the, on the police. Uh, there's so many indications of that. And by the way... Education system, re- health system, all edu- of that, yeah. All, yeah, all of that. And then... You know, some governors, like the governor of Tennessee, said, well, wait a minute, we're going to select who we can bring in. That's not true. The governors, once they accept, they got to take whoever they want. And if you look at the refugees that are being sent here, these other countries don't want them because they're a strain on the health care system. They're a strain on the police. They're a strain on the counties, you know, on the, on the countries that they're in. So why would we bring these refugees into Ohio? Now, people would say, well, it's compassion. Hey, Renee, it's about compassion. Nobody's more compassionate than Jim Renacci, but or many others who believe we shouldn't. But in the end, if we want to be compassionate, let's take care of those citizens in Ohio that have the opioid issues, that have the addiction. If we're going to take care of those, let's take care of ours first, because this just puts an additional burden on many of uh, the, the state resources and county resources. Um, in, in Tennessee, every county is now following... Um, notification that they do not want to accept these refugees because of the burdens they put on the education system. And yet, Governor DeWine, without even asking, without even taking it to the legislature, without even having one discussion with Ohioans, just said, yes, we'll bring them in. That's the problem I have. And I do, too. And and, and it is about compassion, and you're right. And it doesn't mean we're not compassionate, but, you know, President Trump has a polity of America first, and he's right, too. It doesn't mean we don't care about the rest of the world, but America first. And in a similar way, it should be Ohio first, and Ohioans Ohioans first, uh, rather than refugees. Congressman Renacci, we're out of time. Thank you so much. Great conversation. I appreciate it. We'll check in with you again soon. All right. Thanks, Bob. You got it. Have a great day, sir. It's uh, 9.53. Time out. Back after this.
Jim Renacci, he really seems to believe that witnesses are going to be called in the Senate trial. He thinks they're going to be called, and he thinks they probably should be called, or at least uh, a case can be made for it because new information or new evidence, uh, the left can argue, has come out since the uh, House trial, the House inquiry, and, uh, and what they did. And my response to that would be this. Tough. If the House wanted to find more evidence, better evidence, better witnesses, better documentation, then they shouldn't have rushed their process the way that they did. And they did. Now, when I say rushed it, there you know, understand there's two different uh, lenses through which you can view this. Number one is that they rushed it because once they decided they had a whistleblower or they manufactured a quote-unquote whistleblower the way that they did, uh, they just went with the speed of light. All right, all right, let's move forward. Let's get an inquiry started. Let's get uh, articles voted on, blah, 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 as fast as they could. They wanted to get done done by Christmas. But, of course, the other lens is this started three years ago, as Nancy Pelosi admitted during an interview. She said, what do you mean speed? We're not going fast. We started this uh, two and a half, three years ago. And she's right. They have. They decided to impeach him before any Ukrainian phone call was ever made, before anything was done. So they've gone very slowly and deliberately big picture. But once they got themselves a whistleblower complaint, they went with light speed. If they had slowed down and said, let's be more thorough, maybe they could have found stuff to investigate, documentation, other witnesses, etc., on the House side. So to me, this is the bed that they have made. They have transmitted or transmitted, transferred the articles that they wrote to the Senate. The Senate should consider them as is. And that's it. No more need for witnesses, no more need for documentation. This is not a place for investigations to be conducted. It's a place to to uh, uh, try only what was sent over by the House. Uh, great, great info and conversation with Jim Renacci. The next hour is yours, 216-901-0945. Dial me now. We'll get you up on the radio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.